Dear loving Father in heaven, it's time for us once again to fellowship with you. We have very sacred, high, important things to handle which humanity of itself cannot do. I realize this, Lord, and I ask for the grace of heaven to be upon us as we study your word. Your children who will be listening, please grant us abundantly of your spirit. I who will be speaking, grant me abundantly of your spirit and help me, Lord, to handle this matter and to do justice to your word appropriately that it may have an entering into us that we may know you and that we may indeed be sons of God. Do this and take the glory in Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. That I may know him. February 2. Christ in the home. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. John chapter 2 verse 1 and 2. On the occasion of the marriage feast, Christ desired to express his sympathy with and approval of those at the wedding. Christ did not come to this world to forbid marriage or to break down or destroy the relationship and influence which exists in the domestic circle. He came to restore, elevate, purify, and ennoble every current of pure affection that the family on earth might become a symbol of the family in heaven. Mothers are under the tender care of heavenly angels. How interestedly the Lord Jesus knocks at the door of families where there are little children to be educated and trained. How gently he watches over the mother's interest and how sad he feels to see children neglected. In the home, characters are formed. Human beings are molded and fashioned to be either a blessing or a curse. To the mother, the Lord has committed the younger members of the family as they come into our world weak and helpless. Infinite wisdom and infinite love does not commit this gentle office so pregnant with eternal results to the fathers full of business plans and cares. Woman's heart is full of patience and love if that woman has surrendered her heart to God. She must cooperate with God and her husband in training the precious souls entrusted to her to grow up into Christ Jesus. And the father, relying upon the grace of God, should bear the sacred responsibility that rests upon him as the husband, which means houseband. In babyhood and childhood, when the nature is pliable, God would have the firmest impressions made for right. A battle is constantly going on between the prince of life and the prince of this world. The question to be settled is, whom will the mother choose as her co-worker to mold and fashion the characters of her children? If she will learn that love is the key to the souls of her children, 
Christ will preside in the home, filling it with heavenly sunshine. This is his work in every home that will admit him. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is Christ in the Home. What is very sacred and elevating topic we have to look at. Remember that in all our studies, we are seeking to know God. And here, as we look at Christ in the home, we will see another aspect of God's character that we are to embrace. Because whatever we see the Father do, we also should do. When we see him think a certain way, we think that way. When we see him condemn something, we want to bring ourselves to a place where we also condemn that thing. When we see him rejoicing in something, we ought to bring ourselves to rejoice and love the same thing. So we're looking at the home. This thing called home was invented by God. Therefore, the first lesson is we should love homes that fulfill the purpose of God because that's another thing we'll be looking at. If you look at devotion, a lot was spent in talking about the, the role of the mother in the home. But before we talk about the role of the mother, let us first of all understand God's mindset in forming a home in the first place, in having this thing called marriage. Genesis 2 verse 20 to 24 shows us the development that led to what we have today as a home or marriage. It says, And Adam gave names to the cattle and to, fowl, to the fowls of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found an help meet for him. So a problem has been identified. There is no help meet for Adam. Now let's see how God solves the problem. Verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed the, up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. What lessons do we learn from here? When God saw the problem identified, the solution was woman. It was not another man. That's another important lesson. We'll talk about that later. Reading from Adventist home, page 99, paragraph 1 and 2, it says, God made from the man a woman to be a companion and helpmeet for him, to be one with him, to cheer encourage and bless him he is in turn to be a strong helper all who enter into matrimonial relations with a holy purpose the husband to obtain the pure affections of a woman's heart the wife to soften and improve her husband's character and give it completeness fulfill God's purpose for them Christ came not to destroy this institution but to restore it to its original sanctity and elevation. He came to restore the moral image of God in man, and he began his work by sanctioning the marriage relation. End of quote. What do we learn from here? Jesus, when he came on this earth, he began his work by sanctioning the marriage relation. The first miracle Jesus performed was in the marriage. That shows that he sanctions marriages. And not only does he sanction it, he came to restore the moral image of God and the first place he started with was marriage. In other words, marriage has a way, when it is conducted the right way, it has a way, a purpose of actually restoring God's image in man. The divine purpose of marriage as we read here is the wife is to give the husband completeness and the husband to do the same for her. God brought about this institution called marriage for this purpose. 
for the characters of both to be elevated more into the character of God. Reading again from Adventist homepage 25 paragraph 4, it says, God celebrated the first marriage. And how do we know that? Genesis chapter 2 verse 22 says, And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he woman and brought her unto, ma- unto the man. He did not just leave two of them as many people may see in the movies. God physically was the one that took Eve, perhaps holding her by the hand, he being the father of the woman, brought her physically to Adam and gave her to him, saying, Take, this is your wife. So who was the one that conducted that marriage? It was God. He conducted it. He brought the woman to the man. He is the one that celebrated that marriage. Continuing where I was reading from, Adventist Home, page 25, paragraph 4, it says, Thus, the institution has for its originator, the creator of the universe. Marriage is honorable. It was one of the first gifts of God to man. And it is one of the two institutions that after the fall, Adam brought with him beyond the gates of paradise. When the divine principles are recognized and obeyed in this relation, marriage is a blessing. It guards the purity and happiness of the race. It provides for man's social needs. It elevates the physical, the intellectual, and the moral nature. End of quote. So we see in this thing I read here, the purpose of marriage. If, if there's a condition, if the divine principles are recognized and obeyed in this relation, only then will marriage be a blessing. If the divine principles are disobeyed, marriage is a galling yoke. It is a curse. One of the worst curses that people are passing through today is this thing called marriage. Let's not be mistaken. Marriage is a galling yoke and one of the worst curses anybody can pass through when they enter into it and they are not obedient to God and disregard his principles. It will destroy many. But then, when obeyed, when the divine principles are obeyed, oh, marriage is such a beautiful blessing. It says here that it guards the purity of the race. Marriage is always supposed to be monogamous. It's not polygamy. A monogamous relationship, marriage, prevents diseases and also it helps both man and woman to avoid the impurity of selfishness. So there are two kinds of purity that it gives to us, physical purity and spiritual purity. Marriage helps to provide a means for one to look away from self and seek to minister to the needs of another. When its principles are obeyed and followed, it is one of the most potent cures for the impurity of selfishness and self-seeking. The man makes his decisions, always factoring in the wife and the children, and the wife also does the same thing. And the children also know that they do not live for themselves. They seek to please their parents. Everyone is thinking of someone else. No one lives for himself, but everyone feels a responsibility to live for another person, thereby helping to cure selfishness. Another thing we saw is that marriage guards the happiness of the race. It is this same selflessness exhibited in the marriage that is the prime source of happiness. To love and be loved is a source of happiness. To have this sense of responsibility and fulfill it, to put a smile on another person's face by the things you have done for them, makes you happy. Adventist to page 15, paragraph 3 and 4 says, Our happiness depends upon this cultivation of love. 
sympathy and true courtesy to one another. The sweetest type of heaven is a home where the Spirit of the Lord presides. If the will of God is fulfilled, the husband and wife will respect each other and cultivate love and confidence. And page 26, paragraph 1 and 2 says, He who gave Eve to Adam as a helpmate performed his first miracle at the marriage festival. In the festival hall where friends and kindred rejoiced together, Christ began his public ministry. Thus he sanctioned marriage, recognizing it as an institution that he himself established. Christ honored the marriage relation by making it also a symbol of the union between him and the redeemed ones. He himself is the bridegroom, the bride is the church of which, as his chosen one, he says, Thou art all fair, my love, there is no spot in thee. In page 99, paragraph 4, we are told, Human love can never bear its precious fruit until it is united with the divine nature and trained to grow heavenward. Jesus wants to see happy marriages, happy firesides. Amen. So, another thing we saw is that marriage provides for the social needs. It elevates the physical, intellectual, and the moral nature. By both husband and wife being connected with God, you know that man and woman do not have the same inclinations. But with each one complementing the other, it develops both people and they become better people in Christ and in spirituality. Now, talking about the social needs, there is this notion among many that marriage is a sinful thing because of the sexual intercourse involved in it. In Genesis 1 verse 27 and 28, we see there God saying to man, be fruitful and multiply. Being fruitful and multiplying involves sexual intercourse and this was not after sin but before. God did not invent sex to be something that people are afraid of. While premarital sex is bad, people are not to be ashamed of sex done the right way, which is through marriage. And even marriage doesn't mean that it sanctions every practice that is done on the marriage bed. Marriage is honorable and there are principles that one needs to obey. If you practice loathsome practices as husband and wife on your marriage bed, then be sure that you are going to get loathsome diseases. There's even something called safe sex. When the world says that safe sex, you know the world doesn't believe in sin and righteousness. That means there's righteous sex. The world will not tell you sin. They will tell you unethical. They will say unsafe. But for us as godly people, we know that thing that the world is calling, calling unsafe and unethical or illegal is something that we many times will see as sinful. So even when the world says unsafe sex, it shows you that there is something wrong in the practice. Marriage and sexual intercourse is not supposed to degrade and to bring about diseases in people, but it's supposed to elevate. So when marriage is practiced the right way, it is a blessing. But my point I was trying to make earlier is that sex is not a bad thing, as many will think. There are some today who even feel like, oh, it was sex that caused Adam and Eve to go out of Eden. No, it is what the Bible says. They ate a fruit that they were not supposed to eat. It is not sexual intercourse. God told them to be fruitful and multiply, and there's nothing wrong with that. You see, God saw the need of Adam, and in his wisdom, he did not create another man to be a helpmate for him. He created a woman. 
sending the message that in order to give man happiness, there is something a woman will do for a man and a man will do for a woman that each cannot do for themselves. Adventist home page 99 paragraph 1 we read earlier that all who enter into matrimonial relations with a holy purpose, the husband to obtain the pure affections of a woman's heart, the wife to soften and improve the husband's character and give it completeness, fulfill God's purpose for them. So let us have that in mind. There is a holy purpose and there is an unholy purpose. Some people enter into marriage relation just because they feel like they want to practice all the evil passions of the heart. While sex is not bad, marriage is not primarily to say, oh, that that's just the only thing it is for. While at the same time, it is not to be discouraged. Some people teach that it is not um, right for one to even involve in sexual intercourse with the wife except for procreation. Where do we get such lessons from? It's not from Jesus. Adventist on page 121, paragraph 2, Jesus did not enforce celibacy upon any class of men. He came not to destroy the sacred relationship of marriage, but to exalt it and restore it to its original sanctity. He looks with pleasure upon the family relationship where sacred and unselfish love bears sweet. End of quote. It is no sin for a man to engage with his wife, even if they do not have the purpose of procreation in mind. If not, why do we read in Proverbs 5 verse 15 to 20 these inspired words? Drink waters out of thine own cistern and running waters out of thine own well. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad and rivers of waters in thy streets. Let them be only thine own. The water being referred to here is the wife of the womb of the man. Let them be only thine own and not strangers with thee. Let thine fountains let thy fountains be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant rule. Let her breasts satisfy thee at all times and be thou ravished always with her love. And why wilt thou my son be ravished with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a stranger? So in these passages we see here God is saying engage with your wife but we can see that the context of this reading is not about procreation it's just talking about the pleasure that comes from that engagement when he talks about in verse 20 verse 19 about let her breast satisfy thee at all times you see there that it's not condemning the general relations because i know that in some churches and in some religions they're saying oh that as far as it's not for procreation it is wrong but that's not true Page 121, paragraph 5 of Adventist Home says the marriage relation is holy, but in this degenerate age, it covers vileness of every description. It is abused and has become a crime, which now constitutes one of the signs of the last days, even as marriage is managed as they were previous to the flood, were then a crime. When the sacred nature and the claims of marriage are understood, it will even now be approved of heaven and the result will be happiness to both parties and God will be glorified. End of quote. So this is to buttress the point that I was making about marriage not sanctioning everything that is done on the marriage bed. No. And not just on the marriage bed but even in the family in general. And just because one is married to you does not mean like a man you should be beating your wife. And that does not mean that you should practice everything that comes to your mind that is unsafe on the marriage bed. Marriage, like we are reading now, it has it is covering vileness of every description. And we should be careful 
lest we say, oh, we go to the other extreme. And, oh, since God has said we should marry, I can do anything I want. No, that is not the case. We should be very careful. That's not God's intention. Page 100, paragraph 2 of Adventist Home says, The grace of Christ and this alone can make marriage what God designed it to be, an agent for the blessing and uplifting of humanity. So it's very important that every married couple should seek the grace of God in their marriage. If not, your marriage will become a curse to you. Even that sexual intercourse will become a curse to you and a source of many diseases and sickness and eventually even death because of the way it is managed. But the grace of Christ can make marriage what God designed it to be and that is what we are to seek. Now going on to other parts of this devotion, talking about the home and the role of the mother. It's very important because God uses a home as an evangelistic tool. In Adventist Home, page 31, paragraph 3, we are told, It is no small matter for a family to stand as representatives of Jesus, keeping God's law in an unbelieving community. We are required to believe in epistles known and read of all men. This position involves fearful responsibilities. One well-ordered, well-disciplined family tells more in behalf of Christianity than all the sermons that can be preached. Such a family gives evidence that the parents have been successful in following God's directions and that their children will serve Him in the church. Their influence grows, for as they impart, they receive to impart again. The father and mother find helpers in their children who give to others the instructions received in the home. The neighborhood in which they live is helped, for in it they have become enriched for time and for eternity. The whole family is engaged in the service of the master, and by their godly example, others are inspired to be faithful and true to God in dealing with his flock, his beautiful flock. The greatest evidence of the power of Christianity that can be presented to the world is a well-ordered, well-disciplined family. This will recommend the truth as nothing else can, for it is a living witness of its practical power upon the heart. Amen. End of quote. This is beautiful. You know, to have the right motive in entering marriage is very important. If you love God, for example, and you have been into evangelistic efforts, wanting to use this tool and that tool to prove to the people the, the power of the gospel, and you want to bring many more souls to Christ, God is presenting to you another tool that can be used to bring souls to Christ. If we have a mindset now, I'm entering into marriage, if you're entering into marriage, not because I want to satisfy sexual desires in my body, not because I just want to have children that will take my name, not because I want to see how somebody can join me and we can become more financially lucrative and be rich, but after you have read what I just I just read now, that the greatest, not the one of the evidences but the greatest evidence of the power of christianity that can be presented to the world is a well-ordered well-disciplined family if you have heard this that it will recommend the truth as nothing else can that is a well-ordered well-disciplined family and then you with this purpose in your heart saying since i see that this is a way to actually recommend the gospel to others and then you say for this purpose god is it your will for me to get married and then god says yes because you have to ask god first if you go through all this and then have this in mind that i want to use my family 
as an evidence of the power of the gospel to recommend the truth to others knowing that this is the best way to do it if you enter into marriage with this holy purpose your marriage will be a blessing it will be a blessing now talking about how this is done we have already read that that the children will be an influence in the neighborhood the parents that father and mother will also be an influence whatever they are teaching their children the children will communicate to whoever it is they interact with in the neighborhood and the parents themselves standing in the principles of god become a blessing to the neighborhood too this is how they live in the environment and people become inspired to follow the truth but how do they do it inside the home that is where the mother comes in in what we studied today in genesis 3 verse 16 and 17 we see god's role for man and woman being identified by implication he said to the woman i will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children and thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee here we see very clearly there's no mistake in it the head of the home is the man but the woman god says to her you are the one who will bring up the child but in sorrow in two things first of all in the conception and secondly in training there are two things mentioned here greatly the sorrow will be multiplied in conception and we know what that means but then there's another one that talks about bringing forth children that bringing forth is not the same thing as the conception it is talking about child training this is a woman's job and then in genesis 3 verse 17 the man is cursed cursed is the ground for your sake is what god told adam because it shows that he is the breadwinner he is the breadwinner of the of the family he says thorns and thistles that's what god says shall it bring forth to thee and thou shalt eat the herb of the field in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread so shall thou eat what bread that word bread there breadwinner who is the man who is the one being told about that adam the man so from this passage we see god stating clearly the role of the husband and the wife the ground is cursed for the man's sake and not for the woman's sake he is to eat of it in sorrow all the days of his life this shows that in the ideal family the man has the responsibility of being the breadwinner and provider as far as the needs of the home are concerned woman is to give birth in sorrow but not only this god says bring forth children because of sin the woman's work of training children in the way of the lord will be made more difficult and sorrowful that which seems like a curse for both man and woman should not be viewed as something inflicted by God. These are consequences that God is saying here, consequences of sin. It is a mystery but it is so nevertheless. It is for man's benefit that he should have no idle time because he being busy will not be easily accessible by the devil. His temptations will be drastically reduced. Labor is a blessing and for the woman, her restlessness can be cured if she will humbly take the position in the family which the Lord has appointed for her. The man being the breadwinner and the woman being the homemaker is God's ideal for every family. Like we read in our devotion page 39 paragraph 3 of that I may know him. It says, mothers, this is a blessing, mothers are under the tender care of heavenly angels. And it goes on to say, to the mother, the Lord has committed the younger members of the family as they come into our world, weak and helpless. Infinite wisdom. You may think you are wiser than God and say, oh no, why can't the man do the same thing? But God is wise. Infinite wisdom and infinite love does not commit this gentle office so pregnant with eternal results to the fathers full of business plans and cares 
woman's heart is full of patience and love. You see, we are wired differently, man and woman. Woman's heart is full of patience and love if that woman has surrendered her heart to God. There's a clause. Because some women's hearts are not filled with patience and love. They are not surrendered to God. Going on, it says, She must cooperate with God and her husband in training the precious souls entrusted to her to grow up into Christ Jesus. And the father, relying upon the grace of God, should bear the sacred responsibility that rests upon him as the husband, which means houseband. Amen. However, we see a different state of things in some families. It is not condemned if circumstances has made it so. But there are a class of men and women who do not follow this ideal. Some men prefer to lazy about in the house, drinking alcohol, chatting with friends, when they have not done enough to provide for their family. This forces their wives to play dual roles in the home. Such husbands need to be educated and encouraged to follow God's ideal because it neither does them nor the rest of the family or society any good that they are lazy and not doing their job. Then also, some women today feel that the work of being a homemaker is degrading and humbling, but this is not so. That work is the most ennobling and honorable work ever undertaken by a woman. A woman is never greater than when she takes her position of being a homemaker. But in consequence of the women viewing their ordained position as degrading, they become restless and the family is not properly organized. This is just like Eve. In Patriarchs and Prophets, page 59, paragraph 1, it says, Eve had been perfectly happy by her husband's side in her Eden home. But like restless modern Eves, she was flattered with the hope of entering a higher sphere than that which God had assigned her. In attempting to rise above her original position, she fell far below it. A similar result will be reached by all who are unwilling to take up cheerfully their life duties in accordance with God's plan. Not just women, but even men. In their efforts to reach positions for which He has not fitted them, many are leaving vacant the place where they might be a blessing. In their desire for a higher sphere, Many have sacrificed true womanly dignity and nobility of character and have left undone the work that heaven appointed them. End of quote. So, here we settle the point that if you follow God's ideal as a man or as a woman, you will know man is to be the breadwinner, secondarily to help in the training of the children, that, and primarily the breadwinner. And the woman primarily is the training of the children as her job and secondarily, she can also assist in providing for the family. But it's not her primary duty to do that. It's the man's primary duty to do that. It's the vision of labor. And if we follow infinite wisdom's plan, then it will be a blessing. The Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. In We read in That I May Know Him, page 39, paragraph 4, that in babyhood and childhood, when the nature is pliable, God will have the most firmest impressions made for right. Because there's a battle constantly going on between the prince of life and the prince of this world. End of quote. The woman is to submit to Christ because Christ wants to help the woman in this work. It says in that same reading, if she will learn that love is the key to the souls of her children, Christ will preside in the home, filling it with heavenly sunshine. This is his work in every home that will admit him. Amen. Jesus instituted marriage and he wants to be involved in the running of the home. 
Christ wants to be involved in your home. It is now for us to ask Jesus, how shall I order this family? For the man, know that God loves you and he wants us to bring up families that will be well-ordered and well-disciplined and will be the greatest evidence of the power of the gospel. In this knowledge, knowing this, pray to the Lord to bless the work of your hands and he will. And for the woman in the home, we are told that angels and God looks upon the woman with tenderness, wanting to help. How gently he watches over the mother's interest and how sad he feels to see the children neglected. So it is good for us to understand this that we may exercise faith knowing that God will bless everyone who does what they are supposed to do and follows God's ideal in the family. Like I've said, primary work and secondary work. Primary for the man, breadwinner. Primary for the woman, bringing up children. But both can secondarily help each other in each person's primary duties. But the devotion focuses on the primary duty of the woman in bringing up the children. In the book Daughters of God, page 193, paragraph 2 and 3, it says, Especially does responsibility rest upon the mother, she by whose lifeblood the child is nourished and its physical frame built up, imparts to it also mental and spiritual influences that tend to the shaping of mind and character. It was Jochebed, the Hebrew mother, who, strong in faith, was not afraid of the king's commandment, of whom was born Moses, the deliverer of Israel. It was Hannah, the woman of prayer and self-sacrifice, and heavenly inspiration, who gave birth to Samuel, the heaven-instructed child, the incorruptible judge, the founder of Israel's sacred schools. It was Elizabeth, the king's woman, and kindred spirit of Mary of Nazareth, who was the mother of the Savior's herald. The child's first teacher is the mother, during the period of greatest susceptibility and most rapid development, his education is to a great degree in her hands. To her first is given opportunity to mold the character for good or for evil. She should understand the value of her opportunity and above every other teacher should be qualified to use it to the best account. Yet there is no other to whose training so little thought is given. The one whose influence in education is most potent and far-reaching is the one for whose assistance there is the least systematic effort." End of quote. So women need the assistance, but first of all, women need to understand that this is my duty. That is, mothers, let me say, need to understand that this is my duty. But then there needs to be great education given to the woman on how to bring up the children, on her food, on her words, on her thoughts, all of it, the influences she gives to that child, all needs to be looked into very much and i just want to read an encouragement in conclusion to mothers who are bringing up their children in daughters of god page 195 paragraph 1 and 2 it says if woman looks to god for strength and comfort and in his fear seeks to perform her daily duties she will win the respect and confidence of her husband and see her children coming into maturity honorable men and women having moral stamina to do right. But mothers who neglect present opportunities and let her duties and burdens fall upon others will find that their responsibility remains the same and they will reap in bitterness what they have sown in carelessness and neglect. There is no chance work in this life 
the harvest will be determined by the character of the seed sown. If mothers would go to Christ more frequently, if they would trust him more fully, their burdens will be lighter and they would find rest. Jesus knows the burden of every mother. He is her best friend in every emergency. His everlasting arms support her. That Savior whose mother struggled with poverty and privation sympathizes with every mother in her work and hears her earnest prayers. That Savior who went on a long journey for the purpose of relieving the anxious heart of a Canaanitish woman will do as much for the afflicted mother of today. He who gave back to the widow of Nain her only son as he was being carried to burial is today touched by the bereaved mother's woe. He who wept at the grave of Lazarus, who pardoned Mary Magdalene, who on the cross remembered his mother's needs, who after the resurrection appeared to the weeping women and made them his messengers is today's woman's best friend, ready to aid her in her need if she would trust in him. Amen. James 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Amen. Christ is ready to teach the father and the mother to be true educators. Daughters of God, page 207, paragraph 5. Christ is ready to teach the father and mother to be true educators. Let us exercise faith in Christ. Pray more often for guidance, for help in bringing up the children that Christ may be in the home. Because the only way Christ can be in the home is when we bring Christ's principles into the home. And he wants to be in the home and he wants to teach. If we will seek help from him, he will surely, surely, certainly help. May God be with all mothers and fathers as you do your work. May God bless you. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much for the blessing that you are giving to us through your word. Please make it plain to us. It's a short time to explain a lot of things, but I pray that your spirit shall impress on the hearts of every listener the truth that you're trying to communicate to us. Help those mothers who are listening and fathers also, especially mothers who are thinking of how to order their child and also having other distractions with help that they'll be focused and give them wisdom while they are focused to bring up their children in the way of the Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. This message was brought to you by the Angel with a Strong Voice, a ministry dedicated to preparing people to stand true to God and be ready for His imminent return. For more information and free online resources, please visit www.tawas.org. That is www.tawasv.org or contact info at tawas.org.